Isn't the Lord so sweet? I tell you, um, I'm just so blessed by Browning and Melissa and leading us in worship. I mean, I just, you know, you can tell that they're worshipers at heart and they're not just up here playing music. And, um, you know, the Lord's presence is so real here today. And, I mean, He's got a message for us. I mean, when we, when, um, they, I came in this morning and I saw that they were going to be singing or we were going to be singing How He Loves Us. I just laughed because I was going to bring up that song in the message. And we haven't talked about what's going on. And, you know, the Spirit is so sweet and good to just bring us all together in unity and teach us and unify us with a message. And so, you know, I just want to thank them. And, um, you know, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. Can we just go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord that you are here. You are here in our midst. Father, I thank you that you are the name, the only name that matters. And Father, I pray right now that if there are any names that we are holding on to that are not yours, I just pray that they be released. The name of failure, the name of being unwanted, the name of rejection, the name of insecure and shy. Lord, those are not the names you have for us. You have us seated. In the name of Jesus Christ, the all-authoritative, powerful, majestic one. And so, Father, we proclaim His name over this time. We proclaim His name over this message and this truth and this word that you want to speak today. Father, we avail ourselves to you. We avail ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to come and teach us. You are the ultimate teacher. So, Father, I pray right now that you've moved me aside and the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in every word, every thought that comes in this place today. We hand ourselves to you and we say we love you too, Lord. We love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you've just been enjoying this study, Replicate, as we've been digging in the Word of Ephesians. You know, I've really enjoyed this because I love getting into a book of the Bible and reading it from front to back and really grasping the context of what the author is saying here. And so I pray that you've been enjoying that. And if you missed the first two weeks, I want to encourage you to go to our website, sjlife.com, go to the Belong section, and under that Belong section is the women's, face, I mean, women's page. And the podcasts are going to be up tomorrow. And the reason I want you to do that is because today, as we go through chapter 4 and 5 of this book, everything we talk about today is hinging on the first three chapters. So if you miss that, you've got to go back and get this. Read it, study it, meditate on it, listen to the teaching. Because today is going to be a very practical in nature message. And sometimes we can say, well, ugh, that's not the fun stuff, right? But we're going to have fun today. Because the Word of God is always living, it's always active, and it can be fun to us. And so we're going to start in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And I'm going to back up a little bit to... Um, verse 1. Lana went all the way through verse 16 last week, but I'm just going to start in verse 1, just that one verse, and then we'll jump all down. But I want to remind you that chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to believers in Ephesus, a brand new church that was developed that he helped found um, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to holy ones. He actually says, I'm writing to the saints. And I heard someone say this once, what if you got a letter in the mail and it said to the Pemberton Saints at 8236 Jackson Trace? You'd be like, what, a saint? 
I'm not a saint. Did you see what I thought last night or what I did yesterday? Because sometimes we think that word saint is like just like for Mother Teresa's, right? But he is writing to believers, these saints, the holy ones that are to be set apart for God. And so today I have good news for all of us. You are saints. I'm a saint. And so this whole letter is for us. And he's going to be teaching us how we begin to live out that sainthood that we didn't earn, but that was grace to us through Jesus Christ. And so Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner, I urge you. Remember, he is writing to these believers. He doesn't know if this will be his last time for giving them instructions. And so every word he says in this letter is important. He's wanting them to get this message. And so he says to them, I urge you. This is like powerful. It's like I am pleading with you to live a life worthy of your calling. And so we have to ask ourselves, calling, what's our calling? And our calling goes back to everything that we've already talked about in chapters 1 through 3. And so I want to remind you of what your calling is in Jesus Christ. Your calling is that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Your calling is that you have been chosen in Him before the creation of the world. Your calling is that you have been adopted as a daughter of the Most High God, and that makes you an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Your calling is that you have been sealed and marked by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Your calling is that you have redemption through the blood of Jesus, forgiveness of sins for your past, your present, and your future, never to be wiped out because Christ came and died once and for all. Your calling is that you were dead in sins and now you are alive in Christ. You are saved by grace. You have been raised and seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ in a position of authority and power in Him. That's what it told us in Ephesians 2. That's right. Hallelujah. Our calling is that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Now that is a calling, right? You know, you sometimes think of the calling that people receive. I thought about the royal family, you know, William and Kate. And then I thought about poor old brother Harry. Y'all remember after he, they got married and Harry made the headlines because of his um, little escapade in Las Vegas? You know, and everybody went kind of nuts because I think he was naked in a hot tub and all this. And, you know, and they're like, he's the royal family. We're celebrating this beautiful royal wedding and then there's Harry that goes and just, you know, makes a fool of himself. And I thought, you know, why do we make such a to-do about that? Why do we have to put it on the headlines? It's because he's royal family, right? And a royal family has a certain way to live and has a certain calling. They've been trained up in the way to have manners and to present themselves right and to walk as dignitaries. And so basically what Paul is telling these believers and he's telling us is that you have a high calling and you need to start living it out. Live a life worthy of the calling. And I want to remind you, this calling, these things that we just went over, they've already happened. We're not striving to earn these. We're not going to church and serving and doing all these things to get this. It has already happened because of Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. 
And so let's jump down to verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. So now he's going to tell us what unbelievers, how they live their life. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must not no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now that's the lifestyle of an unbeliever. They have evil and they're continually searching and seeking out more and more evil and lust of the flesh for their life. And what I want you to take notice in that scripture is he says it's due to the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. The hardening of their heart led them to have darkened understanding and a separated life from God. And I started thinking, yes, Paul's talking about the unbeliever here. He's saying this is how the unbelievers live their life. And I started thinking, isn't it true that sometimes our hearts can be hardened? I mean, do we know everything? Are we living it out perfectly? Sometimes our hearts are hardened and it causes us to be ignorant in the ways of God. And I started thinking about a baseball. You know, you've got a softball and then you've got like a baseball. A baseball is hard. You throw it on the ground and it just boom. You try to hit it with something and you know you get hurt by hitting it. You know, a hardened heart is kind of like a baseball. Things can't penetrate it. It's not pliable. It's not changed. And I started thinking, how can we sometimes know if we have any parts of our hearts that are hardened? And I thought about four questions that we can ask ourselves to determine if our hearts are hardened. Number one, are we easily offended by people and circumstances when they don't go our way? I mean, when something doesn't go our way or someone doesn't do something that we think they should do, are we easily offended? All right, what about, can I take, can I receive constructive criticism? In love, not in negativity, not in spite, but can I receive constructive criticism? If someone came up to me and they said, Ann, I love you, I appreciate what you're doing, but I see this in your life and it's not honoring God, could I receive that? Whew. Do I ever say I'm sorry? When my husband and I, when we get into a fuss, a tiff, or if I do something to my children, I lose my temper, and they know I'm in the wrong, and I know I'm in the wrong, do I ever go to them and say, I'm sorry. I should not have raised my voice to you. And then lastly, is the Word of God taking effect in my life? You know, he tells us that the Word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is supposed to come in and separate our spirits and our souls, the bone and the marrow, and it is supposed to take effect into our life. You know, are we just a Bible stalker or are we a Bible doer? Sometimes we're not being a Bible doer because our hearts have been hardened through circumstances, through lies, through situations. And what Paul is saying here, that's how the unbelievers live, and that's not who you are. So we have to make sure that our hearts are soft, they're pliable, so that we can have the life of God in abundance that he has for us. 
Then let's drop down to verse 20 through 24. You, however, we the believers, the saints of God, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. So he's telling them, you did not come to know Christ that way. You know Christ. You have a soft heart. You know that who you are called to be, that you've been redeemed and forgiven and cleansed and that you're dearly loved and accepted. And so he tells them, don't live that out then. Don't live it like an unbeliever. And he tells them, you've got to take it off. Your former way of life, your old man, you have to take that off and you have to put on the new man. And I thought about that in regards to clothes. You know, I had a choice this morning, right? I had a choice if I was going to show up today to teach to y'all in my pajamas or if I was going to take my pajamas off and I was going to put on some decent clothes. Basically what Paul is saying here, you have to make a choice. Am I going to keep living out of my former way of life, my old man, or am I going to put on the new man, made new in the image of Jesus Christ? It's a choice. I started thinking about Prison inmates. What do you always see a prison inmate walking in? Their white little suits with their little number. You know, you see some at the fair. You see some when you're walking, going down the highway as they're cleaning up. And what do you think when you see a prisoner in that, in that jumpsuit? You think they're an inmate. They've committed a crime. This is their payment. They're being punished. And I started thinking, what is we as dearly loved, redeemed women of God, what are we wearing every day? Are we wearing our old man? Are we wearing our jumpsuits that say we're still bound in sin and we're still bound in our old self? Or do we have on the glorious riches of Jesus Christ in a robe of righteousness? Because that's what Paul is telling us here. You've got to put it on. Take it off and put it on. You know, have you ever gone up to someone and you, you go up to talk to them and then all of a sudden it's just like things just get unloaded on you? I mean, like, my husband is always a mess. He's never doing anything right. My children are struggling. I'll never have enough money for a bigger house. I'll never have this. And you walk away and you're like, I mean, and you're just gasping for breath. And sometimes we've been that very person. You know, have you all ever seen that show, What Not to Wear on TLC? You know, where they take the ladies and they, I mean, dress horrendous and they take them in and they get rid of their, all their old closet and they give them all new clothes. You see, that's what I think Paul is saying to us if we wanted to be culturally relevant right now. Take that old stuff and throw it away. Don't ever put it back again and put on the newness of who you are in Christ. And then he tells us, how do we do that? Verse 23, we are made new in the attitude of, your, of our minds. The attitude of our minds. If you look up that word, pneuma, it means a mental disposition. It means that we begin to reprogram our minds with new information. We allow truth, the truth, the Word of God to begin changing our mental disposition because you know what happens once our minds change? Our outlook changes. And once our outlook changes, our words begin to change. And once our words begin to change, our actions begin to change. So he's saying you have got to change the attitude of your mind. 
And we all, if you're in Bible study, you know how to do that. The Word tells us. We renew our mind by the Word of God, by hearing the Word of God. We dwell upon it. We meditate upon it. We eat it and get filled up so that this Word can change our outlook and our mindset. You know, many times when I'm going through a hard situation, and we all go through it, you know, we can get really downcast, right? We can start feeling like, poor old pitiful me. Why am I the only one struggling? Why am I the only one going through things? Why am I the only one that have financial problems? Why am I the only one that have problems with my kids? Can't we? We can get there real fast. And you know, this Paul's telling us right now, change the attitude of your minds. Don't be a victim. Don't have a victim mentality. Be an overcomer mentality. And how do we do that? I'll tell you how I do it. I take the Word of God, which I believe is the truth, nothing but the truth, and I begin to not only study it, I begin to declare it. And I do this out loud. because There's something for me when I declare the Word and I hear it, it really starts changing my mindset. So I take it and I start declaring it. I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm the head and not the tail. I've got all spiritual blessings. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I thank you that I'm holy and blameless in your eyes. I begin to declare it. I sing it like that song we sang this morning. Oh, how he loves me. How he loves me. I take these songs and I personify them to me. I make them personal. I declare it. I sing it. I pray it. I pray the scriptures so that I can be made new in the attitude of my mind, so that I can be an overcomer and live as a children of light. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful, useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for that day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So real practical, right? He's telling you, this is what you need to do. This is the areas that you need to get rid of, and these are the areas that you need to put on, the new man. And so I put in your notes a little place that says old man versus new man. And so we're just going to break this scripture down real fast on what is the old man. The old man would have deceitful desires, desires that are not God-fearing, that are not God-honoring. The new man would have righteous and holy desires. The old man speaks falsely. The new man will speak truthfully to their neighbor because we are all one body. The old man would hold on to anger. They would get anger, angry, that they would hold on to it. They'd rehash it in their minds. They'd keep replaying it in their thoughts. But the new man may have a godly anger, but they will deal with it quickly. Because what does it say here? 
You can give the devil a foothold if you do not deal with your anger. And what I like to think about this is, is, you know, here we are. We've got spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit's been made new. It says that we've been sealed. We've already read that again. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. But we've got this mind, our will, and our emotions that are still not fully sanctified, right? Our thoughts fully aren't submitted to God. And so when we have this anger, which is an emotion and a feeling, and anger's not a sin, it's only if you act on it and don't get rid of it is it a sin. And so he's saying, don't keep that anger in because if you do, the devil's going to have a foothold in your life. Deal with it and deal with it quickly. Now, I don't know about you, but there's enough chaos in my life and in my home and in my world that I don't need to actually open the door to the devil and say, come on in. And that's basically what he's saying here if you don't deal with your anger. Don't give him a foothold. Also, the old man will steal. Someone who steal is someone who's always coming and taken, right? They're just taken. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. They take. And he says, no, the new man will be one who works to give to others. The new man will be a giver because God is a giver. He first loved us and he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. All right, the old man has unwholesome talk. The new man will have beneficial talk. And you know, and I have to throw in here, this probably is the hardest thing for us ladies. Would y'all agree? We can run our mouth. We can get, and I am the first to admit, you get me started on something, I can spew. But basically what he is saying here, that's not who you are. You being dearly loved by God and accepted, you aren't to speak unwholesome talk. You know, we can either choose. Our words are either going to be life or death, blessing or cursing. Our words will either build up or they will tear down. And so I want to ask you, what are your words speaking? In a situation with your friends, what are your words speaking? Are they building up or are they tearing down? Because we are to speak words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. James 3, 6 says, The tongue can corrupt the whole person, but the tongue in check will keep our body in check. So we've got to get rain on our tongues. And basically after that he says, And you know what? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And I want you to think, what does that mean, to grieve the Holy Spirit? So basically, if we have anger, if we speak falsely, if we have deceitful desires, if we steal, if we have unwholesome talk, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about, let's say you have a good friend. And you and your, that good friend have a tiff. And you grieve that friend. Well, basically at that point, that friend is not evident in your life anymore, right? Unless you've mended your ways. They're still around. They're still there. But when you grieve them, they're not evident in your life. You see, I think that's what this scripture tells us. When we stay in this old man nature that is not of the Lord, we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. He doesn't remove himself from us. When you're sealed, you're sealed once and for all. It's not like in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come and then remove himself. He stays, but basically what you're doing is saying, I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign. My emotions, my feelings, my desires, and my wants are going to rule and reign. And so you just stay down there in me squelched. 
And you know what? He's a gentleman, and he's not going to force his way. And so he's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He sealed you for the day of redemption. And then he goes on to say, get rid of some things. Just get rid of it. It's like going in that closet and throwing out those old clothes that have been eaten up with moss. He says, get rid of bitterness. It will defile you. Get rid of rage, uncontrolled anger. Get rid of being angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of brawling, strife. Do you know in James it says where there is envy and there is strife, there is every evil practice? When we keep engaging in strife and brawling, it is a foothold that the devil can come in and use. He says, get rid of it. He says, get rid of slander. This also something with our tongue, right? Get rid of it. Don't condemn other people. For you were made to be one in the body of Christ. When we are slandering people, we are saying, I guess you're not worth it. Now that doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable, but we don't slander them. We don't go around and say, did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you know what they did? When we're in situations and circumstances and people start talking, we don't join in. So he says, get rid of it. And you know, for us as believers, sometimes we have to take inventory in our life. We have to say, is any of this in my life right now? Is there bitterness in my life? Is there uncontrolled anger? Have I forgiven people? Have I, do I have unwholesome talk? When people around me, do they feel life and the goodness of God? Or do they feel defeat and victim mentality? You see, that's what Paul's saying to them. That's not who you are. I want you to live out of who you are. And so then he goes on to say in verse 5, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. How do we begin to imitate God? How do we begin to replicate His nature and be His image bearer on this earth? We live out as a dearly loved child of God. You know, if you notice all these things that he told us to get rid of with our old man, he said at the end to be kind and compassionate and to be forgiving as Christ God forgave you. You know, I think that all this stuff, when we know how dearly loved we are, when we know, when we can sing that song, like Melissa said today, when we can say, you know what, love will reshape my coastline of my life and we know that how Christ paid the price for my sins and that I've been forgiven, I believe we replicate that into our life and we start forgiving others. We start being kind and compassionate. You know, y'all know who Corey Ten Boom is, right? She was the, the young girl who took in the, not, the Jewish people from the Nazis and they her family ended up getting arrested and her sister and her were in prison and there were all these just atrocities done to them. Abused, neglected, made fun of. I mean, just horrible things. And I heard this story that one day after all that was done, she went up to her pastor and she said, you know, pastor, I keep forgiving those people who hurt me. I keep forgiving those guards who did all that bad stuff to me and to my sister. And she said to him, but I keep on feeling the pain. I keep on thinking about it. And she asked her, said, have I really forgiven them? And the story goes that the pastor took her up to the bell tower to where the old church bell was. And he said, Corey, grab hold of that 
rope with that bale, and he said, pull it. And so she starts pulling that bale, just starts pulling it. Starts pulling that rope, and that bell's ding, 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 ding. And he said, now let go. And as she let go, lets go, the momentum of her pulling that rope keeps the bell ringing a little bit, right? Still ringing, just at a slower pace. Just still ringing at a slower pace until finally it dies down. And no longer is that bell ringing. And he told Corey Tim Boom, he said, that is like forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of your will. But sometimes, even when you choose to forgive, those feelings, those emotions, that pain is going to keep ringing in your life. But eventually, if you quit rehashing it, quit talking about it, quit thinking about it, eventually that bell's going to stop. And when you see that person or that situation comes up, you're going to be free. You see, the antidote to a lot of this that he's talking about is forgiveness. And for some of us in this room, we got to let go of that rope. It's doing nothing but hurting us and the high calling that he has placed on our life. Let it go. Jesus paid for it. It is done, and the only thing it's doing is binding you up. So he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. I started thinking about that, children who feel dearly loved. How does a child who feels dearly loved act? They feel secure, right? They feel confident. Normally children who are dearly loved, they grow up and they are successful. You know, there's been studies done and with family, um, the family ministry, and they said children who eat with their families, I think two to three nights a week, they sit at a table They have so much less of a chance and a percentage to end up going and having teen pregnancy and getting into drugs. And why is that? Because they feel loved. They feel cared for. I got online and looked up a a study about children. It was done in the UK, and they, they interviewed children and asked them if they felt needed, wanted, and loved. And the findings were that those children who felt rejected and it were more anxious, more insecure, they were more hostile and more aggressive, and they could not handle stressful situations. And most of the research says that this rejection in childhood carries out into their personality, into their their development, into adulthood. And this is regardless of race, culture, and gender. So the opposite of feeling dearly loved is to feel unwanted, not needed, to feel rejected. And when you feel that, guess what? You start living that way. And so Paul is saying, you have got to know that you are a dearly loved child of God. You've got to know how much he loves you. Why do you think that song from so many years ago is still such a hit? Oh, how he loves us. Because I believe the Spirit breathed on that song and is removing veils that the enemy has put over our lives and our hearts so that we will know the love of Christ personally. You know, last week, Paul, did he not pray for the believers in Ephesus that they would be rooted in love and grasp how high, how wide and love and deep is the love of Christ so that they will have the fullness of Jesus Christ? You see, when we continue to know the love of Jesus, it changes us from the inside out and we begin to live a life that honors him, that pleases him, that does not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you go down verses 3 through 
8 here, you'll see that he, he tells them more things to get rid of. He says, get rid of sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, and, and change all of that with thanksgiving. And then it goes on in verse 8, and that's where we're going to pick up again. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So he tells them once again, you see our identity listed here. You see, we were in darkness, right? But now we are in the light. And what happens when you walk into a room and it's all dark, and let's say it's an old abandoned room, and you turn on the light, what happens? All the little bugs and cockroaches and all that stuff start hurrying back and getting into their holes that they came out of, right? So that's what he's telling you. You see, you're a child of the light. And so you've got to find out what pleases the Lord and find out what, how he wants you to live and the things that he wants you to get rid of so that the light of Christ can come in and start dispelling darkness. He goes on in verse 11 to say, "...have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness." but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. Okay, so here we are. We are the beacons of light. We are children of light. We are not to have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And guess what? Now, because we are the light of Christ, we start exposing deeds of darkness. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or a conversation where there's just all this unwholesome talk going on and you just sit there and you don't engage, you don't say anything, and then at the end you might even say something that would honor God. You don't condemn them because it's not our job to condemn or convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But maybe we speak truth at the very end in love. You know what just happened? the light of Christ came in and dispelled darkness into that situation. You see, that's what he wants. He wants us to be carriers of his light. You know, we are the hope of the world. The Christians, the believers in Christ are the hope to all this darkness that's covering the earth right now. He then goes on to say, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, O sleeper. Years ago, I don't know, for y'all that don't know, Edna Gatewood, she's just a pillar in our church. And um, I felt very led to meet with some older ladies in our church and just to talk to them and to glean from them and get wisdom. And when I met with her, one of the things she showed me, she said, I got out, she got out her Bible and she said, I want to read you a scripture. She said, this is my scripture. This is the scripture that changed my life. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. She said, you know, Ann, I had been in church for years. And she said, but you know what? I think I was asleep to some of the things of God. I was asleep to the power of the Holy Spirit. And she said, but when I read this, I knew that the Lord was saying to me, wake up, wake up. You see, many people believe that when Paul states this, he is speaking of Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. And I want to tell you what that says. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. 
See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. You see, for some of us as believers and for some churches, I think we are a sleeping giant. We've got all this. I mean, seriously, dudes. We've got all this. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've got all spiritual blessings. We're seated in Christ. We are accepted. We are dearly loved. We are children of the light. We've given power and authority. And it's like we're sitting on it asleep. And you know what? I can say this with all passion because this was me. I grew up in the church. I knew the stories. I went to every church camp. I went on mission trips. I knew it. And I was asleep. And what he's saying to us is wake up, wake up, get out, let God get out of his box. Wake up to your selfishness, to the deeds of darkness. Wake up, get rid of that unwholesome talk over there. Get rid of the slander and the bitterness and rage and anger and start forgiving each other. You know why? Because thick darkness covers the earth. There's darkness in people all around you. And it will only be the light of Christ Jesus shining in you that's going to bring them to me. Arise and shine, for the light has come. That's what he wants from us, ladies. That's what his heart is. That's what the answer is to this world. Wake up. Wake up. So that's what he tells us. Wake up. So we got to wake up to all different things. Wherever you're asleep, you got to wake up. And then he goes on to say, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. you got to wake up, let the light of Christ shine on you, and you got to make the most of every opportunity, every person you encounter, every situation, because the days are evil. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He wants us to know what His will is, not just for ourselves personally, but for corporately. He wants us to know that His will is is for no one to perish, but for everyone to have eternal life. His will is to keep, that He wants everyone freed from bondage to come into the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to know that because how can we reflect the true manifested light of God if we don't know what His will is? And so He's saying, learn it. Get into my word. Learn what my ways and my will is. And then He goes on in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to your, in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells them, don't get drunk on wine. Plain, simple, none of and added into that because it leads to sin. And you know, and I, I'm just going to address this because I was one, I liked my drinking. I did. I went to college and I went my own route and I got drunk. And I'm going to tell you, it led to debauchery. It led to sin in my life. Then when I got married and I started coming to church more, I'm like, oh, well, I can still handle it. You know what? At times I couldn't handle it until at the point the Lord said, no more. No more. It's leading to debauchery in your life. It's not good for your children. It's not good for your life. And so basically Paul's saying right here, don't get drunk on wine. I know that's a party killer for some, and I hate it, but this is a warning. 
He's telling us, just don't do it. He says, instead, instead, which is going to be so much greater, be filled with the Spirit. You know, back in Ephesians, he's already told us twice that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's not going to be taken away. We've been sealed for eternal life. But now he's saying be filled. And if you look at what that word means, it means a continual feeling. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual. You know, if you go back into Acts and when Jesus had come into the upper room, and, you know, it was the eve of his resurrection, and they were astonished, and they were like, "Woo!" You know, Jesus said, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In my understanding, and there's different schools of thought on this, that to me is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You're born again spirit. But then he told those disciples, he said, I want you to wait. Wait, because there's going to be someone greater that comes, and you will be filled with power from on high. You see, here I believe, and we know what happens at Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They got power. 3,000 people came to know Christ. People were walking up, and they were saying, these people must be drunk. Isn't it funny how the analogy here is between drunk again and being filled with the Holy Spirit, the same thing that happened at Pentecost? And they're like, no, this too early in the morning for these people to be drunk. They're praising God. They're giving thanks to God in new languages. And what happens is Peter, the boldness of Christ through the Holy Spirit, rises up and leads 3,000 people to the saving name of Jesus. And so he's telling us here, I want you to be filled with that spirit. That spirit that I talked about way back in Ephesians 2 which is that great power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is available to you. It's not selective. If you're a saint, it's available to you, and you are saints. He says, be filled with that Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled constantly and continually. And if you look back in Acts, when the disciples were filled in Acts 2, later in Acts 4, they're filled again. You see, I believe that you have an initial experience where you just say, I want all of you. And I'm going to say that was for me. Eight, ten years ago, I finally was like, you know, this this religious life isn't working for me. What do I need? And so I started asking around to people that I were like, they they look different. They act different. And they're like, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And so I went on this quest because, you know, a lot of times stuff with the Spirit can get kind of freaky. And I was like, that's not my nature. Uh Uh-uh. I like a box, and I like it pretty with a big bow on top, and I don't want anything to get rattled and feathered in that. And so I got on a journey, and y'all probably can see my nature is i got to figure it out for myself. i got to see if this is really real. And so I went on a journey, and I began reading all these different books, different, I'm talking from charismatic to very, you know, conservative about who the Holy Spirit was. And finally, at the end of that 10 months, and I mean, I was eating it up. I finally said, okay, God, I want to wake up, and I want all that you have for me. I want to step into that water, not just with a little toe and not with the leg. I want to be fully immersed in who you are and who you've created me to be. And you see, that's what Paul's telling them. You want all this life? You want to live a victorious life in Christ to honor him and glorify him and get rid of all this stuff that you need to get rid of? You've got to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what happens. 
You start speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You, you quit slandering each other and fighting with each other. You start talking to them and being thankful. It says that we start being thankful and we sing and make music in our hearts. We start worshiping more. You know, do y'all know Deanie Thompson? She comes here usually on Tuesday mornings. She told me once, she said, Ann, you know what the sure sign is that someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit? I was like, what, Miss Deanie? She said, joy. She said, joy. She said, you know, when you've been around someone who's got that continual filling of the Spirit, they are full of joy because that's who the Spirit is. And I thought, God, is that not true? When you're around that person, you're like, they got something I want. And so he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, just like when you get drunk, you don't just get, have one drink and get drunk, right? You have more, more, more. The more you drink, the more you get drunk. It's with the Holy Spirit. You keep coming back. You keep coming back to that living water and you keep coming, fill my cup. You know, I'm tired today. I've got my glass of water and I'm just going to pour it out. You know, I've got situations. I'm pouring out my water. And then i got to go back. Okay, God, living water, fill me back up. Fill me back up. That's what he's saying continually. Come back. Come back. Get more and more. You see, so how do we do that? How do we stay full of the Holy Spirit? And I'm just going to give you three things for me that, I, that were important in my life, my experience, is number one, I had to surrender my whole life to Christ. I couldn't take little pieces of my pie and say, here you go, and then hold the others. You know, I had a young lady come to me a few weeks ago after... Um, the Bible study, and she said, Ann, she said, I realized that there are many parts, several parts of my life that I hadn't fully surrendered to God, and one of those being my social life. And she said, and I was scared. I'm scared. I don't want to surrender it because I'm afraid of the friends I'm going to lose. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid of the fun I might lose out on. And she said, but as I was driving home, she said, I got to a red light, and I just felt the Lord say, rededicate your whole life to me. I want it all. I don't want a little part of it. I want it all. And so to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to surrender it all. Our old mindsets, our old way of thinking, and just say, here I am. I don't want to be in control. The second thing is, is that we have to ask by faith. The Father loves to give good gifts to His children. And so we ask. And then we receive it by faith. By faith, you might not immediately feel something. You might not be like the first believers when they got the Holy Spirit and started speaking in unknown languages. You might not have that. But we don't go by emotion. We don't go by feeling. We go by faith. And so we receive it. We ask and receive by faith. And then we keep coming back for more. Just keep coming back. You know, for me, at the end of that 10 months, when I really had begun to seek out who the Holy Spirit was, I, I, in this book it said, this is what you do. I said, okay, well, I'm just going to follow this book. So silly to think about now. And I just got on my knees. And I said, okay, God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm just giving it all to you. I don't want to be in control of this life anymore. And it said, you know what? Just breathe out. Just when you're breathing out, just say, I'm just getting rid of me. I'm getting rid of that old man. I'm getting rid of that old fleshly desires. And then they said, and just breathe in with your mouth open and just ask, Holy Spirit, come in and fill me up. He's a spirit. He's the breath of God. And so that's what I did. Simple as that, in my bedroom, by myself, on my knees. Just fill me up. Less of me and more of you. 
You see, that's what he wants to do for us, every one of us. The calling of God is not for just particular people. It's for all who know him. You see, and then when we start getting, being filled with the Holy Spirit and start living it out, things start changing in our life. And you're going to see next week when we start verse 22 and we start looking at relationships, that even our relationships will begin to change as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God's will for us is to live a life worthy of the calling. He wants us to live a life as dearly loved children. He desires for us to walk in the light, to expose the darkness around us, so that the light of Christ will shine upon us and others will see and come to Jesus Christ. You know, out of everything I've spoken today, I want you to remember we don't do this on our own. We don't do this as an act of our will. Yes, your will is part of it. We do it out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we just surrender to that Spirit and say, Here I am. Lena, will you come and pray for us? And I just want to end today with just all of us asking for more of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lena, why don't you just lead us in that?